Welcome to episode 106 of the Gunfronters Podcast. Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell. Coming at you here tonight following Alabama's hire of um, Nick Saban's successor, Kalen DeBoer from Washington. Um, look, we will do – I want to say this first. We will do a Nick Saban appreciation podcast soon. Um, we'll do, you know, an all-Saban team podcast. You know, it'll be on there. And, you know, we'll talk about our favorite games and, and what he meant to us um, because he deserves that. And, uh, of course, you know, everybody appreciates what he did. 17 great years at the University of Alabama. The accolades speak for themselves. We will cover all of that. So don't think we're just skipping over Nick Saban's retirement. But for now, that's not what you want to hear from us. You want to hear about um, post-retirement for Nick Saban, the, the short, you know, whatever, 45 hours or whatever it was, um, the time frame that, between Nick Saban retiring and, and the hiring of Kalen DeBoer from Washington. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about maybe who we wanted as candidates, maybe give our top three or five candidates, whatever y'all want to do. And um, just talk about the hire, you know, the pros and cons that they're, they're going to be there with whoever you would have hired. Um, maybe DeBoer brings a couple of more cons than some people might like out there, but we're going to cover all of it here. So first things first, candidacy wise for this hire, J-Law, I told you Sark was never going to come. There was some slight buzz early about Kirby, and uh, that got washed away pretty rather quickly. Um, I told you Sark and Kirby were not going to come because if you think about it, at this very moment, with Alabama going through a coaching change, they could possibly be at, this, at the slightest of margins – they could possibly be at better programs than Alabama right now. I'm not talking about traditionally. I'm not talking about over the last 15 years. I'm talking about January 2024. They're they are at programs at you know at Texas and Georgia that could be slightly above Alabama. Um, so they would not make that move um, and leave where they are currently. So outside of those two. J-Law, give me your top five, one through five, how you kind of had these guys ranked. I, I sent you mine earlier in the text, what I wanted from, from the start just about. So outside of Sark and Kirby, give me your top five candidates of who you wanted in, in this in this coaching search. Yeah, I'll start by saying there's only two people that I'm head over heels in love with in college football. One of them just retired from Alabama, and the other one works at Georgia. So to me, like there is nobody that Alabama hired that I because those are the only two surefire people in college football, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. So when you start talking about the candidates, I was I told you guys this. I never really put anybody in order when I was texting you guys over the last, I guess it was fifty-two hours ago or so. So never put anybody in order, but I really liked Kiffin. I had no I would have had no issue if there was Kiffin. I really like Dan Lanning. Uh, I'm not so sure that uh, Greg Byrne was ready to give it over to a 37-year-old in, in, in Tuscaloosa. And I liked Kalen DeBoer. I thought that Kalen DeBoer was going to be an obvious candidate. I didn't know if he was going to be Greg Byrne's backup candidate. But again, there was a lot of people. There's only two names that I'm absolutely in love with, and they're unattainable. Sark would have been great. But a lot of these guys have cons. So, I mean, I think if you would have gotten Kiffin, Lanning, or DeBoer, I thought that was about as good as Alabama's going to be able to do because the only other candidates in college football 
that are better than those or up there with it was Sark, which wasn't going to happen, just went to Texas. He's had a great job and, uh, and Kirby Smart. The next biggest issue for Nick Saban was, guys, and I think I texted y'all this and I was telling a few other people this, is the best Nick Saban assistants already have great jobs. Oregon is a top 10 job now with the money they have, the facilities they have. Kirby Smart is at a top four job. No doubt Georgia's top four, if not top three. Texas is a top three or four job. So, like, the best assistants that Saban has had already have big-time jobs. But we were also fortunate enough that the best, the other best assistants that Saban has had have already gone and sucked somewhere. Napier, Pruitt, Mel Tucker, Jim McElwain, like all those guys have already gone out. They failed. So you didn't really have to burn any time on those guys. You went and got a proven winner. So I thought Kiffin Landing, DeBoer were my top tier candidates. And then after that, I would have had Dabo, Norvell, um, and then way below that, Tommy Reese. Uh, mine differs a little bit. <laughs> I'm putting Tommy Reese at five and in front of Norvell and Dabo, and that's because of what happened yesterday. I don't think that Norvell was touchable um, after what happened. And, yeah, the NCAA came out and said, we're not punishing Mike Norvell. But as a head coach, you know, you can't really act like you don't know what's going on um, within your program. He he knew about it. And if you were to hire that guy and they were to find some more stuff, then they start following you very closely. And that's not something that you need um, for, with any program. Um, so I thought Norvell, Norvell would have been really bad for Alabama. Did not want Dabo. This guy can't adapt to the transfer portal. He can't adapt to NIL. He goes eight and four in one of the worst conferences in college football. I mean, for God's sakes, they had an undefeated undefeated team, and they didn't even make the college football playoff over two one-loss teams in different, in different conferences. Um, so he was out for me. Um, my number one was Dan Lanning. I thought Lanning, you know, cutting his teeth in the SEC, being at Bama, being at Georgia, being under Saban, being under Kirby, I thought he would have been the the best choice um, just from the jump and actually somebody that I've wanted for a couple of years now. Even when he went to Oregon, I thought he was going to be good, and he's proven, he's proven that. Um, number two for me was DeBoer, and I put him slightly over Kiffin just because of the fact that Lane Kiffin – with a Twitter account in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, scares the crap out of me. I can't imagine him sitting there prodding Josh Heupel all week, the week of the Tennessee game, tweeting at him, you know, blah, 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 all these stupid little jokes he does, and he goes out and gets beat. That guy would be shot the next, the next Monday at his press conference. So Lane didn't really move the needle a ton for me. There's no question what he can do with the, on the offensive side of the ball. He still can't figure his defense out. The guy hired Pete Golding, for God's sakes. So one of the worst defenses in the country, um, which is why all the defensive guys he's getting in the portal just don't scare me because I know who's on the headset. Uh, you know, And we know him more than, better than anybody. We had to deal with him for four years. So Kiffin didn't really move the needle. I would have put him in number three. Number four for me in front of Reese would have been Glenn Schumann, another young guy from Georgia. That would have been a huge gamble for Greg Byrne. And kind of like J Law said, I don't I don't think that that Byrne was was ready to turn the keys over to somebody under the age of 40 years old. That is a huge gamble. But I think Schumann is gonna get a, a main, you know, a big time defensive coordinator job here soon. And then I think he's gonna be a great head coach down the road. But 
wasn't wasn't ready to do that um, at Alabama. So Lanning, Jabour was my two, then Kiffin, Schumann, and Reese. That was my top five candidates. Lester, who did you kind of want throughout the search? Yeah, you guys basically mentioned everybody who I would have had on my list. Um, I thought Schumann might have been a sleeper candidate, but like you said, that guy's just young, and um, he hasn't had any previous head coaching experience. And when we were talking about it, you know, we brought up so neither did Kirby either. And look what he's done. But like you said, you know, this this is this is this is not not Georgia. This is the University of Alabama. This is the biggest hire. And like I said, Grant couldn't turn it over to just anybody. I, I think, I, I, you know, we all love Lane Kiffin. I, I still love him for sure. But that guy, I, I believe he's really burned his bridges here in Tuscaloosa. And like Chase said, like, you can't be a goofy idiot at Alabama and lose. Buddy, you won't make it back to the bus. And, you know, I, people people brought up Dabo, and I'm like, no, you, you can't hire a guy in this position who has openly hated NIL. Whether he's all of a sudden has a change of heart and decides to love it or whatever, you know, he said that it's in press conferences. It's going to be used against you in recruiting constantly. So, you know, definitely not that goober either. Um, Lanning, um, we we always assumed that he was kind of the next next guy. Um, we've always talked about Saban. Um, young, defensive-minded guy, which is something that we loved about him. But, hey, you know, Greg Burns had to go, you know, with a not out of left field, but certainly not a guy that I would have thought about. Not somebody that we would not somebody that we've ever mentioned when we always talk about post Saban. We I didn't know who Kalen DeBoer it was or is or anything about the guy, but I love him now. So I you know, Greg, Greg, Greg made his pick. You know, I, the more research I've done, the more we've talked about, you know, I love the guy. Yeah, I told y'all last night whenever things were kind of starting to heat up, I said, I'm going to make myself, I'm going to talk myself into liking this guy by the end of the night. And I started digging and doing a lot of research and really studying this guy and what he believes in and, you know, where he's from, what he's done. And once you start digging in, there's really nothing negative you can say about him. I mean, he hasn't been in the South, but you go down the list of coaches that have come into the South, whether it's Eli Drinkwitz, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Brian Kelly, the list goes on and on. There's a bunch of guys that have come in uh, into the SEC and had success when they haven't had previous experience in the South. But, Lester, you talked about Landing being a defensive-minded coach. That's a question that I have for both of you. And, uh, Lester, stay right here with you since you just talked about Landing. And your preference – and if you didn't have one, that's fine. You just let me know. If you'd legit be like, oh, I didn't care, you know, either one. Did you did you prefer an offensive or defensive minded head coach? I I I I'm not gonna say I didn't care because I do. Um, you don't have to be defensive. I'm I'm more along. I'm glad we've hired an offensive minded guy. I really am. Um, but you have to have a strong emphasis. You have to have a monster running your defense. It's it's a must because you know you can look at all these you know offensive minded guys around. You know you got um, Lincoln Riley, perfect example, bro. I don't care if we score forty two a game. If the other team scores forty five, that's a damn loss. And I we cannot have that in Tuscaloosa. There must always remain an emphasis on the defensive side of the football because this ain't the Big 12. You know, a loss here is, you know, 
damn near unacceptable. How how obscene and outrageous or whatever that is. You know, we don't want to see that, especially not in that manner. You know what I'm saying? Not because you can't get a stop on third and six or or whatever, or somebody's running up and down the field on you, throwing all up and down the field on you. You cannot have that. And we thought that a defensive coach would prevent that to a degree, but I'm I'm, I'm glad we have DeBoer. I just I just I'm really I'm really excited. I hope that he keeps T. Rob on staff, but I want him to get a defensive coordinator with a mind who's a monster on defense. And I'm glad that Saban's going to hang around for a while to kind of, you know, I'm sure he's going to emphasize that point himself. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk about Saban here in a little bit, sticking around with the, with his new office up there in Brian Denny Stadium. Uh, you know, for me, I wanted landing. One of my reasons was the defensive-minded head coach, and I guess that's because we've had one for so long. I mean, gosh, the last time that Alabama had a coach not named Nick Saban, I was 14 years old, and that's kind of surreal once you start to think about it. Back in 2007, that's a long-ass time ago. And, of course, you know, time flies, and it feels like just yesterday, you know, we were in college watching Trent Richardson and A.J. McCarron show out, winning national championships every year, dominating. And, you know, that was all with a defensive-minded head coach. Every time Saban talked, it was about defense. And, you know, every time there was a practice film footage, he's with the DBs, coaching them up, throwing passes, whatever it was. And so I guess I got so used to that. That was my thought process. And then I started thinking about – this is before we hired um, Coach DeBoer. Um, I started thinking, you know, offensively, defensive coaches aren't in high demand for head coaching jobs, if that makes sense. Most of the time, coaches are looking for guys that are offensive-minded. Um, maybe even head coaches that call their own plays. I don't know. But – so you come in, you establish your offensive scheme. This is as an offensive-minded play caller. You find a really good defensive coordinator like Lester was talking about and let him roll. Um, another thing I think helps is Alabama's assistants won't be poached like we've seen the last decade or so. So I think it's very important for DeBoer to, to land a good D.C., whether that's promoting T-Rob, whether you know maybe offering Glenn Schumann a full-time defensive coordinator role, because over there at Georgia he's kind of co-defensive coordinator with Kirby and Will Muschamp. There's a lot of defensive minds over there, so maybe you offer him a position where he can you know, head it himself or maybe work with T-Rob. Um, so I think it's very important to land a good defensive coordinator and have him here for five plus years. Um, that would be ideal. But, you know, a lot of people talk about Ryan Grubb coming over with Kalen DeBoer from Washington, who's the guy that interviewed with Alabama last year, said no thank you, um, and and stayed and got a raise there in Seattle. Uh Yes, he was the play caller, but you look on you go to Google and Google Kalen DeBoer on the sidelines, and every picture you see, he's got a play sheet. So he it's still it's his offense. Ryan Grubb just literally calls the plays. But you know, I've heard old interviews about Kalen DeBoer and the offense and his relationship with Ryan Grubb. I think they've been together for like 12 years. It's crazy. It's almost like Dabo and Tony Elliott and Brent Venables type relationship. Um so Ryan Grubb has called the plays the last four years, but that's Kalen DeBoer's offense. So bringing in an offensive-minded guy, I kind of have to lean that way now. J-Law, what do you think? Would you have preferred an offensive or defensive-minded head coach? Yeah, I had no preference in this. Um, one thing that gives me confidence in this is if say, if Greg Byrne and Nick Saban didn't think this guy was – if he thought that they were just going to turn the headsets off when we're on defense and go go to the offensive huddle, 
they wouldn't have hired him. You know, if they thought that this guy was like, all right, Pete Golden, just go figure it out, and we're going to go try to score after you give up six, they wouldn't have hired this guy. So I, I, I feel like DeBoer is a, has a CEO mentality. He is, I don't want to say not like, he's not like some coaches, like Lincoln Riley's, et cetera, et cetera, where, you know, if the offense is good, then he's taking credit for it. And it just kind of, you just kind of, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it sounds like somebody it's the over whole there team, it's the whole West mentality. Al- and I, West Alabama. Well, I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get their ruffle because the, you know, he, the, the, let's just shut the people up. Nobody knows what Greg Byrne went through in the last 48 hours or so to land this. It only, it only took 40, 45 hours to find the coach, I think. So, um, but just from people I talk to, and the Gump Runners always keep it real. We'll, we would tell you, if if I knew with the people that I know who are in touch with certain other people, if I knew that Dan Lanning got an interview and they offered him $10 million and we whiffed, I'd tell you. I pro- But this is the guy that Greg Byrne thought, A, what was was realistic because I feel like Dan Lanning would have also been realistic. Dan Lanning was not offered this job, did not interview for this job. This is the guy that Nick Saban and and Greg Byrne wanted to go get. Would they have liked to get Sark? Yeah, that's not realistic. Every team in the country, almost every team in the country, would fire their coach and hire Sark or Kirby Smart if they said they're if they would come. If there wasn't a buyout, they would say, "Oh yeah, you're fired, Kirby. Come on." Every single one in the SEC, everyone everywhere in the country, and that almost goes for Steve Sarkeesian as well. If Steve Sarkeesian walked on your campus and said, I'll be your head coach, 95% of colleges would fire their coach immediately and hire one of those two guys. So, I mean, like, those aren't those just aren't realistic candidates. But I, this, this is the guy that Greg Byrne wanted to hire. He was in contact doing interviews with Kalen DeBoer within 24 hours. So, get a timeline. Saving quits at four. The next day, he is doing interviews with Kalen DeBoer. The next day, Kalen DeBoer is on a plane back to Tuscaloosa. Buddy, there's not a lot of time to dick off and interview 17 people for this job. So Nick Saban and and Greg Byrne, they didn't whiff on 45 candidates. They went out there. They got their dude in in a roundabout way to say that I don't think that it matters if he's an offensive guy or a defensive guy. This guy's a head coach. This guy's a winner. And I promise you, if they didn't think this guy could get go, come to the South and recruit, his ass wouldn't be on a jet back to Tuscaloosa as we're recording this podcast. Because Greg Byrne is not an idiot like Alan Green. Greg Byrne is not going to hype up the Cruton finger about a guy who has the personality of my shoe that's laying on the rug across the room right now. Well, wait, wait, wait. This you talking about the guy that's cut from the same cloth as Nick Saban, according to, to... – Cole Kublik? Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's wow. exactly what I'm talking about. This is Husky Harson. Dude, it's funny. I laugh every time I see it. But I promise you, they did not go hire a guy who cannot handle the job. And so that just gives me full faith in the, into what's going on. They went out there. They got their guy. The people that that I talked to, Chase knows uh, knows some things, as well as even – the experts, and I'm not trying to talk about random average Joes on message boards, the experts, Rodney Orr, et cetera. This was their number one candidate, and they hired, they officially hired their number one candidate 
within 48 hours of Nick Saban stepping down. So I don't want to hear any crap. They whiffed. They swung and missed. No, they didn't. They went and got their guy, and he's in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, this is, you know, the way I the way I, the way I see it, this is more than likely how it went down. Uh I think that Byrne wanted DeBoer from the start. I thought I think that was his number one guy. Not sure that's how much Saban <clears throat> excuse me, really knew about him. Uh I think that Byrne and Saban wanted Saban to have a say in it. So I'm guessing they had a Zoom call or two over the last couple of days to, for Saban to kind of check him out, talk to him, maybe test his knowledge about X's and O's, talk about some stuff. Um, maybe Saban discussing the pressures of coaching here and, and what he needs to do to be successful. You know, if he's willing to do all that, um, Burn got sex or um, Burn got Saban's blessing. They bring in Jimmy Sexton to let him know that, you know, hey, we got to spend $12 million on a buyout and then, pay an additional 10 plus million per year. So I think Sexton sent out smoke screens to, you know, Oregon, uh, whatever, Texas, um, Florida state, and, you know, made their program spend more money on their coaches just to kind of level the playing field a little bit. And then once the coaches were given the raises and, and Sexton was able to increase his bank account a little bit, then, uh, then burn went and got his guy. I, I think that's how it went down. Uh, yeah. I don't think landing was offered the job. I think if anything, if anything, they talked to Sark and were like, Hey, just because of the Saban relationship and the way he talks and the way he appreciates Saban and talks about Saban, maybe, you know, they tried to kick, kick the tires on that a little bit, but you know, obviously it didn't lead to anything except for a pay raise, but, um, I think that's kind of how it went down. Uh, would not surprise me at all. Digging in a little bit deeper onto Kalen DeBoer um, and his career so far, I'm sure you've read all this on Twitter. If, you, if you've been on that app, gosh, they, they've given you just about all the information you need. But, you know, this guy is 25-3 and three over the last two years after taking over a 4-8 and eight team under Jimmy Lake. Um, just for, you know, comparison, Saban the last – the last two years is 23 and four with a pretty dang good roster. So DeBoer has a better record than Saban. Of course, you know, Pat 12 in the SEC, but you know, a lot of people will talk about the Pat 12 and in the past that might've been laughed at. But if you think about it this year, it was arguably the best conference in college football. I mean, these guys kind of cannibalize each other, but I think at one point they had like seven teams in the top 25, maybe like, you know, week four or five or whatever. They kind of cannibalized each other. USC fell off big time, but they had a bunch of ranked teams, and Washington goes through unscathed um, and wins the Pac-12 championship. Um, he's 104-12 and 12 overall as a head coach. Everywhere he's been, he's taken an average, maybe slightly above average roster and won nine-plus games, including Fresno State, 12-2 um, and two versus the top 25. And a, more, a majority of those games, he had the second-best roster on the field. So this guy certainly got a pretty good track record. It's not a huge sample size, but he's been able to do more with less. And if you remember, Gump Runners told you last year, that's what, we, that's what we wanted in an offensive coordinator. Hey, find the guy out there that's putting up big numbers with lesser talent. Because if we can get him to Alabama and give him more talent, imagine what he could do. That was our thought process whenever we were looking to hire um, an offensive coordinator. We all wanted Garrett Riley from TCU. And, um, and, and that's kind of what you're getting here with Kalen DeBoer. So 
Lester, give me some positives about Kalen DeBoer. Give me some things that you like about him. I know you've done some research. You've kind of studied this guy, too, in the last, you know, six or seven hours or so. Tell me some things that you like about this cat. Yeah, I like I, I, I like his age. He's 49 years old. You know, Nick Saban, one of the reasons why he talked about – I'm not going to tell you the reason why I think he personally retired, but, you know, one of the reasons that he quoted was, you know, he's 72 now. You know, think about all, all the stuff that goes in. I mean, 72 years old, working 12, 13, 14, 16-hour days. Highly, guys, I, like like that wears on you. But this guy is, you know, divorced, 49 years old, a lot of tread on his tires. Um, I, I love that he's an offensive-minded guy. Um, Washington games have always been fun to watch um, offensively. The guy, he's going to get his guy quarterbacks. He's going to get a guy who can throw the ball around. Um, he develops wide receivers, obviously. Um, just a lot of positives. I like he's younger. He's he's good in the portal. Obviously, he found Michael Penix and I'm sure a couple others on that team that he just took to the national championship. Um, you know, younger, knows the portal, probably relates to kids more. Nobody can negative recruit saying that he's gonna retire like they've been doing against Saban for the past five, six, seven years. You know, I I, I think this is this this is a net positive for Alabama going into the 12 team playoff, this new age of you know portaling and NIL. Um, Stabin didn't want to deal with the guys. Like as much as he worked, I don't believe that anybody worked harder in college football as he did. Yeah, and, and you know, another another thing know, is as hard as he worked. Harder. As hard as he worked four years ago, now you have to work even more hours because it yeah. seems like after every every break that you get and every transfer portal opening, you have to re-recruit your off, you know, your whole roster. And so he talked about whenever he left after the SEC championship game, and he went recruiting all over the country, Texas, California, I mean, all all of the East Coast, you know, everywhere. And then he gets back, or while he's gone, damn Elijah Pritchett just decides to enter the portal, doesn't talk to anybody, just oh jumps in the portal because I want some attention. And Saban's right. like, what the hell? So now he's got to fly back, and he's got to go in here and have meetings with him and whoever else might be wavering a little bit. Um, Rodney Orr claims that uh, there was a starter that wanted that almost transferred after the, the Michigan loss, and Saban had to talk him out of it. Of course, now I think we all know that's Isaiah Bond because the first chance yep. he got, he got in the portal, and he's about to commit to Texas soon because he got tampered with. But – and so that, I mean, that's even more stress and more hours you have to work. You know, I can't just focus on the incoming guys. I got to focus on the 85 I got on the roster now. It's tough. Right, right. And, you know, along with that, um, as much as Saban, as great as he is, as much as we loved him, you know, there's no doubt Saban had a couple blind spots. And I think that some of that was due to his age. Um, it was due to his stubbornness. Um, and, and I think the board, you know, we, we, we don't know how it's going to be at Alabama yet, but I think that some of those things will be erased. Um, the loyalty to the, to the older players, the guys who have put their time in despite, you know, X, Y, and Z, we don't know how that guy's going to handle these things yet, but I do believe that he's going to play the best he's has, um, regardless of. You know how they've done in the past, or how long they've been in Alabama, and things like that. It's just gonna be interesting to see how he handles roster management and playing time, and things like that. So, but I'm glad we have a guy who's younger, um, gonna handle the portal things, and I'm glad Saban's gonna be there to help him usher with other administrative stuff. 
Yeah, we, uh, you know, I, I, I like that you said loyalty there. I like that aspect, too, of him coming in because I, I, I'm a firm believer there wasn't a fair shake in the quarterback competition last year. Not saying that Ty Simpson was ready, but I don't think he got a fair shot. I, I saw the scrimmage with my own two eyes. Um, I understand how practice reps were divided up, and it wasn't 50-50, if that makes sense. It was 70-30 at best. So this guy's coming in. He doesn't know who Milrow is. He doesn't have any relationship with these guys. Hey, y'all prove it to me. I'm going to put you out there on the field. I'm going to put you in situations. Go take it. It is a level playing field right now. You know, I think maybe Lonergan maybe can can work his way up there. So you, you, you split reps into thirds. Um, so maybe you see that in the spring. I'm not sure. But I trust that, you know, he'll choose the right quarterback for the system that he needs to run. Because I saw on Twitter somebody said Jalen Milrow in this system is like oil and water. Just it's not going to mix. So you got to be able to throw to all levels of the field. I, I like that. But another thing I like about DeBoer is – I'm proud that Byrne didn't let Saban's style of coaching predict his next coach, if that makes sense, affect his decision-making when it came to searching for his next his next coach that he wanted to replace Saban. You know, Saban's hard nose, you know, defense, stop the run, blah, blah, blah. And – he could have tried to find somebody like that. Of course, you know, like Saban says, they don't make them like they used to. So there's not too many of those guys out there. I, I'm I'm proud that he didn't let any of that get in his way. He 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 knew his guy, and he went. It's almost a 180 from Saban as far as philosophy goes. This guy wants to pitch it all over the lot. Saban wants to play in the phone booth. He wants to run the ball and all this stuff and play defense. This guy couldn't give a piss about defense. <laughs> So that's one thing that I'm excited about is you're going to get a different kind of team. Now, look, if you're a Bama fan listening to this, the top, the days of a top five defense, probably gone. I'm not saying that it's impossible. And I'm also not saying that Bama's defense is going to be as bad as Washington's this year, because I don't think you're going to get that because I think Alabama will always have solid players on the defensive side of the ball, but don't expect this defense to be giving up 18, 19 points a game anymore. I think, you know, you can ask for anywhere around 26, 27 points a game. I'd expect at least a minimum of a touchdown higher given up per game than what you've seen the last, even the last four or five years. And, you know, but contrary to that, on the offensive side, you're also going to get 10 to 14 points more per game than what you've got this year. You know, I don't see this offense coming in scoring. 24, 27 points a game trying to eke out W's. You know, you might have some close games, but they're going to be, you know, 37, 34, 41, 38, games like that. But that's some things I like about DeBoer. I love his offensive creativeness. It's something that we've been wanting uh, a long time ever since Sark left. You know, you hire Bill O'Brien. It's just gone down the gutter. Yeah, We haven't had any creativity on offense the last three years, and, and it's about time we get some of that back. That's what I'm most excited about. J-Law, what's some positives that you like about DeBoer coming in? Yeah, it, dude wins games. I'm not even going to claim his NAI record. Forget about that. The guy has taken over an awful situation at Fresno as a head coach, turned them into a winner. 
took over a miserable situation. If every if anybody remembers what happened at Washington before DeBoer got there, Jimmy Lake, the guy before Jimmy Lake left him in a bad situation. Jimmy Lake put him in a worse situation. And DeBoer turns it around immediately. I'm talking like it, it didn't take him a year. He didn't lose to New Mexico State at home by 21. It didn't take him, you know, uh, a bunch of NIL and recruit five stars that are going to be good in three years. No, snapped his fingers. Washington became an elite team. I think they were a win away from a Pac-12 title last year. They beat Dan Lanning twice this year. I like the fact that this dude is 7-0 and versus Lanning. Sark and Lincoln Riley and had worse players in every single game. People say, well, you struck out on Lanning. Dude, I'm sure they talked to Lanning. Everybody has a relationship with Lanning. I get it. They might have put a buzz into him. But why are you going to hire Lanning when you can hire the guy who has worse players than Lanning and is 3-0 and against Lanning when Lanning has every resource under the sun to win those games and he still can't do it? Steve Sarkeesian. Give him all his credit. He has one win under his belt that is significant at almost in his entire coaching career. He beat Alabama at home by 10 last year. That's it. It isn't like Sark comes to Alabama and you know for a fact, not not inheriting the 2020 team. And then because I think Sark could have won one of the last three national titles, which Saban wasn't able to do because he would have inherited so much talent. But there's no guarantee that you give Sark this team right now and they go win an Addy, especially in a 12-team playoff. There's no guarantee that Kalen DeBoer does it either, but I think these guys are all on the same level outside of Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart is the alpha in football now. The, everybody else is below Kirby Smart. We all have to accept it until it's proven otherwise. But I, I love his record. I love how he handles his team. I've heard that this guy is a relational guy. People say, Husky Harson, dude, People that I know that talk to Brian Harson, I'm telling you, he was worse than Gus when it came to having to dap him up in a room and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Gus Malzahn is an excellent football coach. Gus Malzahn has trouble relating to people almost in the same way that that Brian Harson did. This guy's not going to have a problem um, with with the, I think the relationships. I think he commands respect. I think people. When you sit in a room with this guy, you know that he kind of commands the room. He commands respect, but you also feel like you can follow him. I think he's a really good leader from the people that, you know, the, the people that know him, Brock Heward, all these guys in Seattle, absolutely love this guy. Nobody was in – I'm just – I'm just. let's put the Brian Harson crap to bed. People in Boise wanted Brian Harson gone because he ran the Boise program down. He put together the worst two seasons at Boise State in 15 years on his way out the door. So I just I, I like the Boer. I don't think that he's just explicitly offensive focused. I think he has a CEO mentality. Um, but I love his offense. I love the concepts. I love the fact that you don't have to be an elite passer to get things done, as we've seen. Like Michael Penix, really, really good. But he's no he is by no means Tua. He is by no means Bryce. He is by no means Hattie Mahomes, I mean, I think his arm talent is less than Lamar Jackson with less legs. I mean, I, I don't I don't think you have to be an elite QB to do it. I just think you have to be able to do the basic things a quarterback needs to do to be successful in this guy's offense. Now, I also don't think that you're going to give up 27, 28 a game. Dude, that's a lot. But I, I definitely see 23 and a half, 24. Okay. I could see that. 
20 when you said 27 i kind of oh like, yeah you know, well i hope not oh but what do we give up what do we give up this year j law do you know off the top of your head 21 it was it was like right i think it was sub 20 like just right okay. under 20 okay um but yeah, and so yeah. I can see a touchdown, 25, 26. I can see yeah, it. 25. I was thinking 23 and a half, 24, which is a big jump. But I do think when you talk about the offensive jump, just if you're able to score one more touchdown a game, you're a national champion right now. And I think that's what this this team needs. I don't see they're gonna hire. I think I might be crazy. I might have listened to the people that I think know stuff that I'm close with a little too much, but the the there is something in the works to get an elite defensive coordinator for this guy who can recruit because that's what DCs do in 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 the SEC. I don't know if you noticed they're always one of your best recruiters. They go get dogs because they have that defensive mentality, um, and I, I think that's in the works for him. But I I think that there's all. It, at Alabama, defense is still going to be central to how they win ball games. And I'm not saying it's Glenn Schumann. I'm not saying that it's anybody else. I just think that they're going to go get this guy, a really good defensive coordinator um, that's going to be able to help things out. And Saban in the transition process, man. Saban's going to be there, but not in the football building. I think that was big. He's going to be in Bryant-Denny if you need him. <laughs> if you need him, he's there. I think he's going to help with recruiting still. I think those are the things that Nick Saban loved about the game, he's still going to be able to do outside of coach. So, And also to all the people saying Nick Saban hung it up when things got tough and NIL, but he's 72. Well, so if he didn't hang it up now, when was he going to hang it up? So when he was 77 and he hung it up and the game changes a little bit, you're going to say he just wanted to quit. He's 72 freaking years old. It isn't like he's Kirby and just quit right now because NIL got so big and it ain't like it used to be. He's 70 plus. Yeah, and just his, let reasoning, him ride off. his oh, reasoning oh. was right because, like, you know, you see, you saw Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno when these guys got to a certain age where <clears throat> they couldn't. Physically, Joe Paul, Joe Paul was a mascot. Yeah, and Bobby Bowden too. That you know, they're they're walking zombies out there. They're figureheads basically for the program. And and also back then, you didn't have to do as much travel nowadays. You recruited close to home. You might go out and get a player out of state every now and then, but you uh you didn't have to. The travel wasn't as, as grueling. Um, the recruiting wasn't as grueling. Uh, your name, your brand, kind of recruited itself. There was no NIL, so. Saban's having to do damn near twice as much. And he was he was always going to be one of those guys. He he told us this was coming. He told us, he said, the day I the day that I can't, I mean, you, you remember Rob Ezel doing that impression. When I can't, the day I can't get you guys to do it right, I'm going to go to the lake, sit on the docks, and watch the duck shit in the yard. And he damn minute, you know, he's not going to go to the lake. Um, he's gonna, you know, hang around as much as he can, especially do the transition, but you know, eventually he'll end up there. But he was right. He couldn't he couldn't run it the way he wanted to. And instead of becoming that figurehead, instead of becoming a CEO that doesn't leave the building and kind of overseeing everything and becoming a walking zombie that does very little and relies on assistance, he couldn't do that because his assistants are leaving every year. He doesn't have the same offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator for 10 years. You know, he doesn't have that luxury. So he couldn't do the things he wanted to do at the level he wanted to do them. I'm sure he was super tired. That's probably the 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 health problem that he was referring to. That's probably what it was. He was just gassed because he talked about, you know, when I was young, I could stay up till one or two in the morning, get up at six and just continue working. And I'm sure the dude by six, seven o'clock after practice and your coaches meetings, 
by the time he got to the film room, he's like, damn, I just want to go to sleep. This, I'm tired. And, uh, and, and that, you know, that was enough for him. So, but yeah, we'll talk about that in a future podcast. Um, continue the DeBoer talk. Lester, I mentioned earlier that every coach, any coach Alabama hire, even if, even, even if it was Steve Sarkeesian, um, would have some concerns about him. What are your biggest concerns regarding DeBoer? Um, my biggest concerns regarding him, you know, despite despite him being a winner at every level he's been at, um, the SEC is a completely different monster. And maybe it's a good thing that he doesn't he doesn't know anything about the South, but more times than not, um, it's a negative. But I'm so glad that you said that he's a from what I've heard and from what you just said, he's a very personable guy who's who's keen on building relationships and things like that. And that's Southern culture. Like, that's what you need to survive and thrive, you know, down here, whether you're, you know, running a business or, you know, with working with people or whatever, you know, to to get in and move up and for people to like you, you got to be willing to talk with people, shake some hands and do what's necessary to build build a relationship. Um, Number two is, geez, I don't just I don't know. I guess the man just not being from the South. Yeah, but, that's what I was gonna ask. How much do you think that plays a role? I had that written down to ask both of you guys. How, how much does never being in the South play a role? Because I mentioned earlier, there's plenty of coaches that have come down here and had success that have never been in the South before, but there's also a lot of failures that have never been in the South before. So, um, what's your take on that? How much of a role do you think that plays? I mean, when it comes to recruiting, I mean, think about guys who um have known Saban for years coaches um this guy he's gonna have to put the work in to go around to all those little you know podunk high schools to all the you know the big schools the the intermediate size schools and build, whether they have a player there or not he's gonna have to run all the coaches clinics he's gonna have to shake hands kiss babies do whatever he has to do to build relationships get these guys to like you and be like you know what when I have a kid who's a three, four, five star guy and you like him, I will recommend him to your program. You know what I mean? That's that's that, that's just really, really important. Um, of course, you know, Alabama's a national brand. I do feel like he'll be able to go get guys across the country. Um, but you know, this is your hotbed. This is this is the home home base down here. So, but I I have no idea, especially with Saban hanging around. You know, of course, Saban can be the intermediary. Hey, DeBoer, hey, such and such coach, whoever. You know, DeBoer's coming up to look to look at this guy today. You know, he can go ahead and you know lay that groundwork for him if needed. Um, you know, I also worry about his staff. Who's he bringing in? Like I said, who's who's the D coordinator going to be? Who's his offensive coordinator going to be? Yeah, still some question marks floating around out there. Oh yeah, like who? I mean, yeah. who's 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 going to fill out his staff? Is his staff going to be filled with dogs? You know, guys who are going to recruit. Is his staff going to be filled with guys who can develop players? Because we've seen that in the past a lot. You know, okay, you got the guy here, but he hasn't changed. This is his five star. He's just, he's just as good as say he walked in on campus. He hasn't developed. He's not playing, and you know you can't afford just waste. You know, on guys like that. So hopefully he'll you know. Come to the South, get down here, love it, you know, fill out his staff with elite guys and, you know, hit the road running. Yeah, my, my, I mean, mine, J-Law, I'm sure yours too, it's, it's the recruiting. Uh, that's for me. And, it's, I mean, it's a concern. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but it, it is a concern for me. Um, 
just because of the fact that at Washington, he hasn't shown that he wants to rely on high school recruiting to build a roster. Uh, I don't think there's any question what he can do in the portal uh, because he's done it. <laughs> and um, but can he name? But can he land big names in the southeast and mix them with the portal guys? And, and I'm not. I'm not asking this guy to come in. And this goes for whoever who, for whoever came in behind Saban. I'm not asking you to be a top three guy every year. I think that's absurd. That's extraordinary. And I think there's two guys that can do that. That's Nick Saban and. Uh, and Kirby Smart, uh, of course. You know, even Ryan Day right now is sitting at fifth in, in recruiting, and you know he'll finish up there in the top two or three every, you know, every two or three years, and then he'll drop down to five or six or something like that. So even he hasn't shown the consistency in, in, in the recruiting game. So I'm asking this guy to be top seven, top eight, which is going to get you third or fourth in the conference on average. I'm not asking this guy to be at the top every single year because. I've seen what he can do with the portal guys. He can beat better teams with the portal guys. So I'm not asking this dude to go out and recruit more talent than everybody because one of the things – the reason Nick Saban relied on it so much is because he was not a great game planner and coach. And he didn't adapt very well to what other teams were doing for the most part. Every once in a while, of course, he would. But even he told Mal Moore – um, on the plane ride back, coming back from Miami, whenever he he decided to be Alabama's coach, he said, "You hired a shit coach, but there's nobody in the country that's going to out recruit me and outwork me." So he had he he knew that he had to have the best players in order to be successful, and I don't think DeBoer's that type of guy. So I don't think Alabama can hang around in that twelve to fifteen spot every year and be a playoff team annually. But I think if you get Alabama top seven, top eight, and then let him work his magic in the portal with some big names, maybe elite experienced quarterbacks that he's shown that he likes to do, um, I think he can be just fine. But, of course, you know, that's uh, that's the biggest concern for me. J-Lo, is that yours too? And also, you know, that role uh, uh, of, you know, never being in the South, how much do you think that that comes into play? I don't think the never being in the South thing is going to come into play because I think you're crazy if you don't think your assistants do 90% of the recruiting. Head coach can't see everybody. There's no telling how many. I mean, you're going to hire people that have relationships with coaches across the state, high school players across the state. The issue that it, what I'm nervous about is that it, it, I guess it is recruiting focused is that. Look at who is an elite recruiter when they're on staff at Alabama and they go get a job somewhere else and they're not in the last 17 years. There's a lot of them. So that emphasis on recruiting has to be there for from DeBoer to his staff because I mean, it was like Holtman Wiggins is leaving. He was a top – he's the number one recruiter. So was Napier. So was – Yeah, like Auburn, like Auburn yeah. flaunting the fact that they just hired Charles Kelly. who's was recruiter of the year in 2023. Where at? Yeah, at Alabama. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, but every wide receiver coach Alabama has had has been a top four national recruiter. So I mean, that goes to Napier, Gaddis, Wiggins, essentially everybody Alabama's had at that position since Nick Saban's been there. Running backs coach every year's in the top ten. Freddie Roach was number three, and Alabama fans hate him. I mean, like that's just the nature of the beast at Alabama. So the emphasis has to be put on there. And I think it has to be because you're not going to compete for a national title year in and year out 
to me, by bagging three stars and hoping you get elite quarterback play in every single game because eventually teams are going to be bigger, faster, and stronger than you are, and you got to go get them. You got to go get those players um, out of high school and develop them. So him not being from the South, I really don't care about. Um, but, hey, look, Brian Kelly and Notre Dame, dude, they were recruiting top 13, top 15 when he was at Notre Dame. Well, there's a chance he finishes with a number one overall class in 2025. He put a, together a great class last year, not as good this year. But in in the NIL era, classes are going to start going up and down, up and down, just depending on who's got money, who wants it that year, what boosters like their coach, et cetera. So uh, I don't really have a lot of concerns. I mean, I think that in recruiting, I think the, say, what Saban's going to be doing at Alabama, I think it's going to be – working camps i think he's going to help identify talent i think he's going to help in the recruiting game a little bit at least in the i'll say short term next 365 days um maybe as long as well, he needs three more years in state retirement and he needs to work for the university so let me just keep that out there he's got 17 um so i think that saban's gonna be able to help in that effort and get this guy over the hump if you think that nick saban's not gonna go with him to ryan williams house i think you're crazy I'm just gonna be honest. I think you're crazy to think that Saban's not showing up with DeBoer to Ryan Is Williams. Is that legal? House. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I don't, don't know. I've never had this happen. I don't know. I mean, he's retired, so. Can he do that? No, no, no. He's retired from being the head coach. Nick Saban okay. is still an employee of the is, University of Alabama. Is he employed by like the football team or like? The, the athletic. Well, I mean, <laughs> we'll put well, it that way. It's all the same money, so. So it like really if, if, if Greg Byrne went to a recruiting visit with Kalen DeBoer, is that legal? Is that okay? I really don't know. I don't think that's yeah. Why wouldn't I, it be legal? I have no idea. We can go on a recruiting visit. Bro, you can you can give a kid a million dollars. I don't know if they care if the AD is going on the visit anymore. But yeah, I, I don't. Florida State. <laughs> I don't think you necessarily have to be a. I mean, if the director of player personnel goes on visits and stuff all the time, and they help host the recruits, and I mean. Auburn's got a girl over there. They're, they're recruiting girls like one of the prettiest girls on earth. Tomorrow, and the one caddy got a hold of. Whoa. Surprise, surprise. Not, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm just saying, like, there's a reason that those people are handling the recruits. Josh Pate's wife used to be that girl at Alabama. I mean, like, there's a, there's a lot of people involved in the recruiting of kids, is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> and so, they, I don't know. I don't think it would be against the rules for Saban to go down there. But if you don't think Saban – Saban was on the phone with recruits today. I mean, they posted about that. That's what he's been doing in the athletic facility outside of helping Greg Byrne interview football coaches is to make sure that the kids that they sign currently, the ones on campus, and the ones that are that are still out there, a couple of fish that they got to reel in to be like, hey, look, everything's going to be okay. So, Saban so, – Saban's job title is the closer. Absolutely. Like, just like at my <laughs> job. Kalen DeBoer's got the easiest job in the country. He's just, hey, I'm Kalen DeBoer. Hey, okay, look, somebody wants to talk to you. <laughs> I mean, don't I just think that Saban enjoys that part of it, you know? Like, hey, he there's just something about recruiting that makes these guys really good, the competitiveness. Dude, of that's it, what so. makes him that's what makes him go. I, I think, you know, what he got tired of it's like I said, you know, having to re-recruit his own guys, I mean, almost monthly. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you gotta check in. How you doing? I know you're not well, getting the playing time you want. Just be patient, blah, blah. You gotta have meetings with all these guys. It's tough. 
And you're always going to have some dudes on your roster hit the portal. Isaiah Bond. I mean, some guys are going to leave, but it's about keeping the ones that you really need on your team. It doesn't look like Caleb Downs is going anywhere as of now, especially with Saban staying in the building. Um, it, I mean, like, look, I don't, I'm not saying that you can't replace Milro, but if you don't think if Milro got in the portal right now, a lot of people would be scared. But got, so you're going in the next year with no experience at quarterback at all. I mean, Kalen DeBoer had Penix at Indiana and Washington. I mean. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious if that was to happen. I think we all know where, where uh, Will Rogers would go. Like, as of now, I don't see Will Rogers going to Alabama. I, no, I he's not. I don't think he's better than what Alabama has. Correct. I, I mean, I think DeBoer can make it work with Simpson. Then you can make it work with Lonergan. Um, and I think you can make it work with Milrow and no, yeah, maybe. I mean, we'll see. I, I'm not saying he'll it'll, it'll take a miracle, but to teach a guy with that kind of throwing motion and that kind of mentality, I guess the deep ball mentality to you know, you got to check down, you got to throw crossers, you got to hit guys on the run. You know, this play only works if you hit the guy in stride because you're throwing a three yard pass. We're trying to turn this into a 12 yard gain. You can't throw the ball behind him and make him stop and get tackled from right. behind for a four yard gain. You see what I'm saying? There's yeah. a lot in this offense that is predicated on, and I know you said Penix, you said earlier Penix wasn't an elite passer. He was pretty freaking good, and I think he threw the ball with great anticipation. You know, you have to know when to throw. Uh, would I say that else. maybe I should have said that he is not in NFL type pass? Yeah, like where everything like I can there, see because that. because I think a lot of times, and this is what helps in college. Look at Mac Jones in college versus the NFL. When you know where the ball's going, and you know where that guy that's going to be open because you have such good coaching offensively. It makes it a lot easier to throw with confidence. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's kind of what yeah. Penix was dealing with. That's right. Yeah. But I'm also thinking, like, but it's it's about keeping the guys on your roster. Downs, like Proctor. It looks like Proctor's going to end up staying because Tennessee paid his money to the to the LSU offensive tackle. So, like, we know some guys have been tampered with, but I just think saving staying there short-term to keep the roster intact is one of the biggest things. Worry about recruiting later because if Kalen DeBoer does this right, he is going to have a top three roster for the next three years and be in contention for a college football playoff and a chance to win some if this goes down the right way. Not even talking about recruiting high school kids the next three years. It's what's on your roster right now. Keep them on there, and you got a really good chance to win. Yeah, all right. So the last question I have for you guys before we hop off is, uh, you guys kind of covered it throughout the podcast. You both have been pretty adamant that Saban being – Having the new office is a good thing um, in the stadium. And my question was, is that good or bad for Kalen DeBoer? Because, once again, I think it ha could have some pros and cons. Do you all think it could have any cons? Because you've kind of listed out your pros, you know, keeping the roster intact. I think that's huge. I think that's number one. Y'all are dead on about that. But me, I just know how Saban's wired, man. Like, that dude cannot stand it. He cannot stand – when was the last time he was not in complete control of everything? He doesn't know how not to be. Does that make sense? Like, in the NFL, I get it. Yeah, he wasn't. You had your GM and you had guys over you. But LSU, Michigan State, Toledo, all these stops where he was the head guy. And then for 17 years in Alabama, he doesn't know how to, I guess, take a back seat, so to speak, and let somebody else run the program. And I just – I'm not saying it would be a, a, an issue at all. 
I'm just saying that do y'all think that there could be some slight concerns with the, a new coach, new staff, et cetera, coming in? I think that Saban is the type of guy to when he makes his mind up and commits to something, that's what he's going to do. So you think he I, understands the situation, he understands what he has to do, and he understands what he's there to do now. Yeah, but if you're Kalen DeBoer, and that's this is I think there's a fine line between if you're Kalen DeBoer, you're crazy not to want Nick Saban's help when you need right. it. Right, but you know how versus, ego, you know how egotistical these, always giving you his help. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know how egotistical these coaches are and all the pride they have. I mean, I, and I don't know DeBoer. He might, you know, people that know him have claimed that he's a genuinely good guy. I've heard that term used. So. You know, you're right about that. He would be an idiot not to listen to the greatest to ever do it. But at the same time, these guys are such pricks. A majority of them, not saying DeBoer is, but a majority of them are, you can see how it kind of could be conflicting a little bit. Hey, you know, this is my program now, you know, back off. But, you know, I'm not saying that would happen. I'm just saying it's something to talk about. Because I know an example – didn't Steve Spurrier have an office in the Florida building? And yes, he was causing he was causing some problems down there. Yes. Y'all yes. remember that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. See, the thing is, I think I think Nick Saban is just a very yeah, Spurrier is an ass aware person. Yes, it's Spurrier. He's an ass. Yeah. Spurrier's an ass, and he knows that he knows more football than the guy that they hired. So but but I, I just think Nick Saban is a very self-aware person. Like he knows that he hung it up on his terms, and this is what has come with it. You know what I'm saying? He's not going to be the head coach anymore. He knows that, I think, and he accepts it. I don't think that he's going to be you know, overstepping boundaries, stepping on toes. He's going to have a very clear, defined role. And also, I think, you know, you, you mentioned over the next three years, I think over the next three years, he's going to be around less and less and less. And eventually, it's going to be all DeBoer's – it's going to be his program. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, it's, it's like Saban – you think Saban's going to help him build those high school relationships and really, you know, establish his foothold in the South, so to speak, around this area, around the neighboring states. And then right. once he does that, he'll, he'll ease off to the lake and to the golf course. And See, I don't think he's ever going to fully go to the lake or to the golf course. I mean, it, you know, Jupiter, Florida's, you know, hell of a nice place, but – I think he'll always be around Alabama in some capacity, but it'll probably just a pop up, say hey, you know, whatever, holler at you. But for the next three years, like you said, each year is just going to be, you know, less and less of less of Nick coming in and you know, helping and you know, make you know things like that. So, so what yeah. if uh, what if T. Rob goes to Auburn and it pisses Saban off? He's like, you know what, I'm the D coordinator. Let's let's eat. Fine. I'm with you. <laughs> Okay, I don't, I don't Dog, I've actually I've actually heard some speculations. Of course, not. yeah, that would be yeah. funny as hell. Though. Yeah. And that's another thing, you know, Saban, you hire an offensive minded coach. I don't know how much defense this guy knows. I'm sure he knows a little bit, but not as much as Nick Saban. Like, was Nick Saban be involved in any game planning? You know, hey, coach, break this down. Tell me what you think. <laughs> you know, because the the thing is. Everything Alabama fans are used to that's happened, especially over the last uh, six years or so, six, seven years roughly, whenever teams really started to use different playbooks and save stuff for Alabama and prepare for Alabama year-round. Because even in, you know, 
11, 12, 13. You didn't see it a ton. Maybe Auburn, Gus would always say some stuff for Alabama because he knew that game was going to save his job and, you know, of course, get him the the big raise that he got. So, but everybody, it seems like every team Alabama plays now has the new playbook for Alabama. You're not going to see that anymore. What you get, what you, what you put on film is what you're going to give Alabama. And that's a huge advantage. And, you know, maybe they'll be like, hey, Saban, you know, how would you stop this? Because I told y'all after the Michigan game, there's nobody better in the country at stopping what you do on film than Nick Saban. If you put that out there and you try to run that against him, he's going to shut it down. Whether it's throwing the ball or running the ball, whatever, he's going to shut it down. Um, the thing that's always gotten him is the the wrinkles that you put in, just like Michigan did. So, you know, is that a possibility? <laughs> I mean, I think for once, you know, like I said, how it's a net positive and how everything with Nick Saban wasn't. Yes, tell know, us that. Yeah. He has some blind spots. That's one of those blind spots. For once, I do believe we have a head coach with all the talent that he is inheriting. He's going to be a guy who's going to throw some wrinkles in on the offensive side of the ball. He's going to be the one for once that's going to have other defenses um, off balance. He's going to be the one to install new things weekly like like the blind spots and the stubbornness that Saban has it's out it's gone now guys that's why that's why I've been saying that this may be a net positive because how many losses have we seen that were just mind-boggling like mistakes from you know, all, not necessarily, yeah all, not necessarily all, from the player side you know what I'm saying like, all, tw- all 20 of them <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> except for the Michigan game, but that's a different conversation. But <laughs> yeah, but but you know, I look, Nick Saban wasn't perfect. He had some blind spots. Dewar, however you pronounce his name, he's not perfect. But we don't know what his blind spots are yet. But I do believe that they're not going to frustrate us as much as Nick's blind spots were. I'll put it that way. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some lumps, but yeah, oh yeah, and I'm not expecting. Look, guys, look, hey. Nick Saban's gone. He is no longer the head coach of the University of Alabama. I'm not expecting the same amount of dominance, consistency, or winning under this new guy. But please believe that we are in a new age of college football where you can get away with two losses, probably. Two losses and the Alabama pedigree, the Alabama name, that will get you in the playoff every single year. I am not expecting to lose two games every single year. But if they do, it is not the end of the world like in the past. And that's why, you know, thinking about, you know, Saban and the future, when I said that this season was really, really good for Alabama fans to witness, it's because, you know, shit ain't going to be sweet all the time, fellas. It's a new age. It's a new day. And it's here. It's now. So, you know, let's move past it. And, and, and we can't expect the same things that we have expected in the past. We have to let this guy come in see what he's going to do, and go from there. All right, guys. Well, man, that's all I have on my agenda. Well, my agenda. Welcome, Coach DeBoer. Uh, roll Tide. We, uh, we're glad to have you, man. Y'all have anything else? Hey, one more thing. Hey, I know most of you all who probably listen to this podcast, you drink, you smoke, you do something stupid that you should not do at least once a week. Please, <laughs> please donate to the NIL. Do it. I know you. You buy a pack of cigarettes you don't need. You buy that case of beer every day <laughs> weekend. That is $80. You can give up beer or cigarettes for one day. 
donate at least 20 bucks a month. That's it. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not going to tell you what I do. I'm telling you. Less than a, a less than a dollar a day. Uh, for less than a dollar, you can help your beloved Alabama Crimson Tide under their new leadership, guys. Do yeah, it. That's, that's, a, that's a good that's a good point, bro, because I was told that with Nick Saban, Alabama could be a hundred thousand dollars off or more on a lot of these dudes, and he'd still be able to close. That's not that's not gonna be the case right now. So they the NIL's gotta get better, and there's so many people who are gonna bitch and complain because Alabama's nine and three, but they're not giving a freaking dime. Hey, when you buy your season tickets, that's not going to gay Alabama, buddy. When you when you go to that Bama basketball game and you buy those nineteen dollar nachos, that's not giving to Alabama. That's not helping us land players. Breach. Eighteen bucks a month to Yay Alabama. We might even put the link in the description just so y'all can even find it in Apple Podcast. Just donate eighteen bucks a month. I just got sushi with my wife earlier tonight. It was forty seven dollars. Damn. If in Silicaga, Alabama, okay. Yep. I can do eighteen dollars a month. Go to Burger King. A number one combo is eleven fifty. And you don't 18, need that shit. It's eighteen dollars, people. Do it. Do yeah, it. I, mean, I know you got it. I know yeah. for a fact that you do. I yeah. know it. And you know the the new Gumpfronters uh, approach to everything. I guess the the thing we've kind of been doing is whoever complains, the first thing we ask is, "Hey, have you donated to Yay, to Yay Alabama?" And they're like, "No," but shut up. You don't get to complain. You don't have a say in anything unless you're giving money and doing all you can to support the program. Because if you're subscribing to a message board and you're yes. not giving to Yay Alabama, shut get off up. the message board and give to Yay Alabama first. I mean, yep. they've deleted my threads about this type of stuff because they, yeah. they want their money. But, dude, it's $18 to get to get it done. We were even thinking about selling Gump Runners hats and then donating it all to Yay Alabama just to be able to. I mean, because to me, there is no greater joy other than being a dad and having my personal health than watching Alabama win natties. And if you want to know how Ole Miss is landing people, and Auburn, if you was like, well, Auburn's paying people, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We get it. We know. So you might need to donate a little money. Donate. Hey, uh, I forgot about the the winner of the bowl pick'em contest, Reverend Freeze. Um, I did mention on the podcast that to enter is your first and last name, so I know who you are. So we don't know who you are. So I need you to contact us. Uh we have oh, a I, Twitter profile. I know who um, I still want them to contact us oh, my bad. Uh, via sorry. Twitter or via whatever. Get us some content information, uh, a Venmo account, and we will get you your prize money. So congratulations to Reverend Freeze. Uh, I think um, – let me go to it real quick. I believe um, a very popular Twitter account was on there, Caleb Downs' burner. Uh, he finished second. Congratulations to him. Wow. Um, a, a stud in third place, Chase Thornton. No, no I'm just kidding. There, there's a lot of ties with there. A lot of people were 27 and 16. Reverend Freeze won it with 30 and 13. Um, so congrats to him. But yeah, there was, gosh, like 10 people I think that finished 27 and 16. Um, I, I finished there. Um, Sam Coleman, a lot some people I don't. Landon Beeman, former guest in this podcast. Uh, my uncle Jerry Thornton, congratulations. Um, Justin Adams, 
uh, childhood friend of mine. Lester, you're in fifth, fourth place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't tell me where I was. <laughs> no, nah, Jayla, you're good. Um, you were uh tied with my dad. Okay, 20, twenty five and eighteen. It's not bad. Um, now let's uh let's have some fun. Let's go to the last the last place. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a little ashamed of this, but ah, last place, Chandler Thornton. My mm. my blood, my sister, dumbass went seventeen and twenty six. How is that even freaking possible? If you just pick the, if you pick the favorites, <laughs> she don't know what that is. She said she was picking people based on their mascots and colors. <laughs> so yeah, Chandler sitting there dead last, seventeen and twenty six. We should make her pay us money for being that bad. And this bowl pick, and then my mom finished. I mean, even my mom finished twenty two and twenty one. So it's impressive there. Seventeen yeah. and twenty six. This wasn't against the spread. This is straight up. Just kind of win the game. So yeah, let's hope. Right. Let's hope Chandler doesn't start betting anytime soon because her ass. Right, is Freeze, you have twenty four hours to claim your prize, or we're going to donate it to Alabama's NIL. Yeah. Fan, yeah. so. You need to donate it yourself, but we're not going to tell you what to do with your money. You want it fair and square. Congratulations, Reverend Freeze. But uh, all right, guys, we good? Yep. All right, man. Uh, episode 106, Gumpreneur's Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. We're out.